Simon Peter was interrupted. And I think we might imagine irritated as well. It's 7 a.m. and he hadn't even had his morning cup of coffee. What's the last thing that you want to hear after the big loss, the big failure, the big shot to your ego? Hey, you, can you do me a favor? Imagine Peter lost in thought, staring at his seaweed-filled, dirty fishnets, trying to rinse them at the edge of the seashore, trying to get them clean just so that he could hang them up and forget about them for 12 hours or so. Instead, it's the voice of that small-town carpenter who stands in Peter's boat and beckons, Can you push me further away from the shore? Imagine Peter offering a tight-lipped smile. He wades into the water, pushing Jesus who has basically commandeered his boat, pushing him 30 meters from the shoreline. The cove with the hills and the shoreline provide this amphitheater, a natural one. And Jesus sits down and begins to teach this early morning crowd that's gathered for more, turn the empire upside down, the meek will inherit the earth, folktales. Thirty minutes later, just as Peter is about to hang his nets at the fish shack, Jesus interrupts again. Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon grits his teeth and shouts, We fished all night long and caught nothing. He concedes, Yet, if you say so, I will lower the nets. In what seems like an instant, Peter and his partners begin catching so many fish that nets are creaking and groaning and ready to burst. Peter jumps from his boat and swims toward the shoreline where Jesus stands. He falls before Jesus and cries out, Depart from me, Lord, I am a sinner. He's amazed at the catch of fish, but he's ashamed of his Jesus-shunning ways. Jesus says to Peter, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. Peter hauls his boat ashore and leaves everything to follow Jesus. Perhaps you've had this story queued up for you by a preacher or a teacher or a Bible study reflection. And the question is, what did you leave to follow Jesus this morning? Peter left everything and followed Jesus. How about you? You ever had one of those preaching, teaching moments? Did it warm the cockles of your heart? I suspect not. Well, I left the cozy house, Lord, where the thermostat was set to a balmy 18.5 degrees. And I ventured into the minus 27. All to Jesus, I surrender. Peter did leave everything. 
He followed Jesus and he was at the top of his game. He, he just hit the jackpot in terms of his fishing days. If this was the new normal for Peter, 150 fish a day, he, uh, he was on the money train. He and his wife were moving on up. And I don't want us to be let off the hook by that challenge of reflecting and thinking, what are you leaving behind to follow Jesus? Where are we putting our money where our mouth is in terms of this journey with Jesus? But I do want to say that the story isn't about us in the sense of us being willing to conjure up the gumption and the strength to leave our dearest possessions behind to follow Jesus. Instead, I want to suggest that this story is about God. And you often hear us preaching and teaching at this church that in the God story, Jesus is the protagonist. Jesus is the leader of the story. And so I want to encourage us once again to let Jesus take the lead in this story. As one of my favorite preachers puts it, this is not a story about us. This is a story about God and about God's ability not only to call us, but also to create us as people who are able to follow. I like that perspective, and I hope you do too. It's God's call. It's God's creation, creative power at work. And when God calls, and when this God who creates something out of nothing perpetually in the God story, when that God calls, miracles do happen. Like Sue Hunter was preaching a couple weeks ago, when God's creative powers are at work, six 25-liter water jugs get filled or transformed into wine. And today the miracle of creative abundance shows up in these empty, squeaky, clean fishnets. From zero to 153 in a matter of moments. And if you're wondering where I got 153 from, there's a version of this story in John's Gospel that you can get a number from. So what is it about God what, and this abundance thing? Why, why does God mean, need to make too much wine? Why does he mean, need to make 200 bottles of wine? Couldn't 20 or 30 have covered the deal? Why does God need to fill Peter's fishing nets so that they're about to break? It's kind of over the top with God, isn't it? Why is God so generous with his miracles? Why? What's God trying to prove? Maybe God's trying to prove that he's super generous. Amen? Can I get a witness? That God likes to lavishly pour out love and grace and mercy and goodness upon the world and God's people and humanity? That God wants us to get swept up in the moment and invite others to be swept up in that generosity and God's amazing flow of abundance and providence? That's the kind of God I want to worship. Can you think of a time when you were swept up in the moment 
When you were guffawing and laughing at the hilarity of abundance. See the picture on the front cover of the bulletin? That is seven-year-old Ryan Sato on the left-hand side. He's having the greatest fishing day of his life. Both at that moment and forevermore, as far as I can tell. Horsefly Lake, southern Alberta. Me, my dad, and my bros. Now, there were no stringent fishing limit laws in the wild, wild south in those days. I'm sorry, environmentalists. Uh, It might have been eight or ten, but no one was keeping track of us. And I think we caught over 50 pike that day, just the four of us. And it was a hoot. No, what, no matter what, we're, we're catching pike. And, and when I grew up, we used um, colored lures to catch pike. And so it didn't matter what lure you put on out of the tickle box that day. Or, or the tickle box? No, that's Mr. Dress-Up. The tackle box. Just off by one vowel. Whether it was the red and white curvy metal one with the one hook, or whether it was the lime green with all the black spots on it with the hook on the bottom, or whether it was that dumb plastic one that we never caught a fish with, with two hooks off it, and this gray barrel, bam, 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 bam. We were catching fish in what seemed like every cast into the lake that day. It was a hoot. Fifty or more pike lugged into the back of my dad's 1967 Fargo van. A van that probably smelled like a fish factory that day, but to me it was sweet victory. And the fun, being with my brothers, being with my father, uh, laughing, wide-eyed, amazed at the fish that were piling up in our fish baskets. And you look at that picture, look how happy I am. So, I use that image and that story just to help us think about abundance. Can you think of a time when you were swept up in the moment, guffawing and marveling at abundance? Because I think those places of abundance are hopefully places that resonate with the heart of God and the way we believe God moves in our lives. And it's those places of abundance and hilarity and lavishness that we need to keep on returning to as we follow Jesus. And I think that's how it was for Peter and his friends that morning. That out of that abundance they were able to leave everything behind and follow Jesus. Now, Peter does have a moment where he dives to the ground and tries to get Jesus out of his life. And so I I do think we need to pause with that. He says, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinner. Why, Why does he do that in the midst of this story? And if we remember this Luke Gospel is probably um, compiled in AECE, probably 50 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. 
And so it might be possible that Luke is dropping some hints about Peter could probably have some baggage. Um, We know Peter's story, most of us, that he had that whole, I I won't deny you three times, I won't deny you Jesus, but then denies Jesus three times debacle. And perhaps there were others in Luke's church at the time who didn't feel worthy or were ashamed of their reputation or their life choices. But Jesus says the same thing to the early church as Jesus says to Simon Peter, as 2,000 years later says to us, do not be afraid. I'm turning your life around. From now on, you will be catching people. And catching them, not in the hook and lure sense, but rescuing others from the deep waters. And in first century Christianity and culture, the deep waters would have carried a very foreboding and ominous feeling to them. And so the imagery here is that Jesus and his followers will sweep up others from the chaos and the calamity of life into this way of following Jesus, this way of servanthood, this way of humility, this way of grace and mercy and forgiveness. So for us, in this season of Epiphany, fellow followers of Jesus, how might we name and recognize God's abundance, but then in the same moment and in the same flow, invite others to be swept into the abundant heart of God? Letting ourselves and others be drawn in and wrapped up in God's heart of generosity. God's heart that wants to turn water into wine. God's heart that wants to fill empty nets with over 150 frolicking fish. God invites us to bless others, to welcome others, to include others. Because the heart of God is deep and wide ridiculously lavish. You've heard that saying that it's easier to catch flies with honey than with vinegar. Have you heard that one? Easier to catch flies with honey than it is vinegar. And I thought we should Luke 5-ish that phrase and say it's easier to rescue humanity with generosity than scarcity. Does that make sense? If if I were sniffing out church land, if I were a friend or neighbor of us, and I were sniffing out this place, I would hope that I would find hearts and minds and people who were generous and gracious and giving almost lavishly and ridiculously versus a bunch of Christians who were righteously counting their shekels, wondering if they could spare a few for me or not. So might that be an image for us as we joyfully cast our nets into God's abundance and then go and share what we've received with others. And so I invite you to pause just for 30 seconds or so and imagine. Imagine who that other human being might be in your life this week that you might invite to be swept up into the story of God's abundance and grace and lavish love. Maybe you can imagine who that person is, or maybe that person's kind of been plunked into your life in the here and now. 
Just pause for 15 or 20 seconds and imagine that person. And as we imagine that person, or as we pray for that person, pray for the conversation or the meeting that we might have, perhaps because of you and me being swept up into the heart of God, even in worship today, we might be able to sweep them up into God's heart and generosity and lavish love. And might we not be afraid.